from verse 21 of Mark chapter 4, says this. <clears throat> he, being Jesus, said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. And with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray and then think about this passage from Mark's Gospel. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do give you thanks uh, for your goodness to us, that you give us a word from yourself. And we pray that you'd help us to understand it in context and to benefit from that. And we pray that you'd work in our hearts and help us to grow stronger as your people. We pray for your help and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been part of the in-crew or been an outsider? A few years ago when I worked as a high school teacher, I was given a shift where I had to supervise a group of teenagers at a school disco. I didn't really like that shift a great deal. It was one of those situations where the music is blaring out and very loud, and so it was hard to have a conversation. The room was like a cave, it was dark, it had a disco ball, strobe lights and 
coloured lights like the headlights on a car beaming around. And I was doing my supervisory shift, trying to have half-baked conversations with other teachers who were also supervising. And it wasn't my favourite experience. At the end of it, when uh, I, my time was done, I was invited by some other staff members to go out uh, and to join them for a beer or two and to go to the pokies and watch the Fox Sports horse racing. And so I declined the invitation. <laughs> I had zero interest in poker machines and less than zero interest in horse racing. And the person that I was being invited to had a bit of a laugh and he said, fair enough, don't hang around where you're not wanted. And I nodded my head and had a joke and said, yeah. And all the while I was thinking, yep, that's about right. I just don't feel like I'll be wanted by that gambling punting crew. I feel like I'm an outsider with them and I'm pretty comfortable being on the outside of that group. I was very happy not to go. So I said, it's okay, I'll... I'll have an early night, a quiet one at home. Well, I was a bit of an outsider with that community, uh, and I still am. I haven't really changed much since that time. Today, in this passage, we look at this topic of being an insider or an outsider. People are divided over Jesus, and his parables had the effect of compounding that division. And people became consolidated into groups. Some of them became closer to Jesus. They became the insiders. They had a, a great deal of interest in knowing what Jesus was talking about more. And other people became entrenched in their rejection of Jesus. They became the outsiders. Their attitude to Jesus was probably a bit like my attitude to horse racing. At my place, when the Sunday newspaper comes out and the form guide's there for horse racing, we jokingly give it away because that's the part of the newspaper we're not interested in. Not interested at all in that, and these people aren't interested in Jesus. They're on the outside. Well, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus comes on the scene fairly rapidly, and he announces to people that the time has now been fulfilled and that God's kingdom is at hand. And that their responsibility is to repent and to turn back to God and believe in the gospel. And Jesus in his ministry brings in God's kingdom, God's reign or God's kingship over all. And there will be a time one day at the end when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But in the beginnings of his ministry, there's a type of secrecy that seems to uh, characterise the ministry of Jesus. It turns out that Jesus isn't the kind of king or messiah that people had expected. And as a coming king, he was also a threat to Herod, King Herod, and also to the Roman authorities, including Pilate. As Jesus was gathering all kinds of people to himself, we've noticed as we've read through the gospel, there's moments when he's called upon people to keep quiet about what they know about him. An example of that is when the demon spoke and said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus wouldn't permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And he also said the same kind of thing to the, the man who'd been healed of leprosy. He was told to keep quiet. In the ministry of Jesus, as he gathered people together, 
the insiders became more and more aware that he was the one who was going to bring in the kingdom of God. And when he spoke his parables, they were a type of coded messages so that the insiders could benefit and understand, but those on the outside were more entrenched in their unbelief. We saw something of this division into the groups last week when Scott spoke. We looked at Mark chapter 4, verse 10. I'll read that to you again if you're following in the word there. Mark 4, verse 10 says that those around Jesus with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you, which is a reference to the twelve and the other followers, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is said in parables. In chapter 4, verse 34, later today's passage, if you turn there now, we read, He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And so we see that there are two groups forming, the insiders and the outsiders. The insiders are like those where the seed fell on the good soil that produces a crop, and the outsiders are those who have unbelief and of a hardness, and the Pharisees typify them. In chapter 3, verse 6, we find out that they listen to Jesus, but they go and plot about how they might join in with the Herodians to kill Jesus. And so this is the context, the, the insiders and the outsiders, and the secrecy of Jesus' mission as it begins, uh, with which we start to read about this lamp. So if you're reading on, I'll pick it up at verse 21. We find out about the lamp. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Although there's been some secrecy surrounding Jesus' ministry at the start, things wouldn't remain hidden. In the same way that a lamp isn't taken and lit in order to be hidden, the truth about Jesus and the things that the insiders began to know, these things would also not stay hidden forever. They're meant to come out. The lamp's a metaphor. I think Jesus is saying he's the lamp. He himself is. And his message, his message about the kingdom that's coming, that he's bringing. These are the things that are going to be brought out into the open. And just as the lamp is not supposed to be under a, a box or under a bed or anything like that, it's to be put onto a stand. Later on, at the end of the ages, things will become apparent that Jesus is Lord over everything. Mark's original audience began to know something of Jesus as they've uh, listen to the disciples and we've become uh, familiar with Jesus as well as we read the word week in and week out and we get to know him. But at the end of the ages it'll become apparent to everyone as Jesus says in Mark fourteen sixty two, when he was asked if by the high priest if he was the Christ he said I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. One day everybody is going to be confronted with Jesus, who is the light of the world, the lamp. And Jesus challenges us further, though. He challenges us about how we're going to listen to him, how we're going to react to him. 
In verse 24 he says, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. The question is, will we take Jesus seriously and come to terms with what he says, let it grip our hearts and become consolidated as one of those inner group, the disciples? Or will we be dismissive of his message? As people heard the parables being spoken about, the crowd seemed to be fluid. People could hear what he said about seeds and farmers and birds and things like that. Some people thought, oh, there's, there's something in that. And they, they listened a bit further. They became part of the inner group to see that there was actually insight in what Jesus had to say. And as a result, what they had, they even gained more, more of. What they learnt, they benefited from and they gained a stronger faith. But other people heard the same kinds of things and they thought it was nonsense, it was rubbish. And they weren't going to listen to that. They weren't going to hear any more. And so even what little bit of Jesus' teaching they got, uh, even that would leave their minds. They'd forget even the little bit that they got. And so the challenge for us is to be part of that inner crew. The ones who have, we've already been given something, will we be given more? Are we going to think deeper and more carefully about what Jesus teaches? Well, we've got a moment to do that now, actually, as we look at the next couple of parables. The first one's the parable of the growing seed. In this parable, the seed is sown and then it just grows. The seed grows as a continuous activity. Whether the farmer rises or whether the farmer sleeps, that seed just keeps growing. It sprouts and continues on its way. And it seems to be something that's happening independent of the farmer. In fact, we're told he doesn't know how it grows, it just does it. If Jesus was communicating this parable in, in these days, I cracked a joke actually at the nine o'clock service about how the TV works when, um, you know, how do you fit those little people into the box that big? You know, how does it work? But it fell flat, that joke. It was, uh, it was more funny how the joke fell flat than the joke. Uh, yeah, I just turned the TV on and it works. I'm not an electrical engineer. Um, I don't know how it works. I don't know how the computer works either. I just turn it on and, and away it goes. Uh, and the same thing can be said for the farmer. He just plants the seed in the ground and, and up it goes. And it seems to be that there's a, a comforting message here for God's people. That God is going to do it. God's going to bring in his kingdom. He's the Lord of history. He will do it. He'll get it done. We don't necessarily know how he's going to do it, but it will happen. There will be a harvest to speak of in verse 29. And our responsibility is to be people who rely on what God does. Later in the story, we rely on the work of Jesus, what he's done as the one who lays down his life and rises again as the ransom for many, as a, as a ransom for us. God's going to bring his kingdom to completion as the Lord of history, and we can trust him to do it. I think that's the take-home message of this growing seed idea. Now, there might be times when we think we can be the ones that God depends on to build his kingdom. God needs us. And it's understandable to draw that conclusion, isn't it? Because the reality is that God does raise up people to preach his word, to pro promote the gospel. 
to uh, teach his church and to build his church. We've each got a responsibility to uh, give a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. And so God uses people in his mission. But it's also important for us to remember that God's not limited to using us. Scott might not come back from his trip to New Zealand. I hope he does, for a lot of reasons. But um, the fact is, the ministry will continue, um, whether Scott's part of it or not. God will get his ministry done. I'm not always going to be here either. Um, But God's mission and his ministry will continue. God's not limited to using us in his mission. And it's good for us to to be reminded of that fact. He's in control. A final aspect about this parable that's interesting is about the sickle. There's There's a sickle that goes into the crop. Did you notice that? It might be that Jesus is picking up on a reference in Joel chapter 3 verse 13 that talks about the day of the Lord when God's going to judge the nations for their wickedness. And Joel 3.13 says, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. And so in this little parable about the growing seed, not only is there a harvest, uh, at the end there's also going to be God's judgment. And again, we simply rely on the work of Christ as his ransom for us, that on that judgment day we will not be condemned. He died in our place. Well, the next parable focuses less on uh, the way that God's just going to do things and more on how this stage of God's kingdom movement does not look all that impressive. It's the parable of the mustard seed. I'm always encouraged when I read this parable. The mustard seed is a tiny seed and it looks pretty insignificant by itself because it's so small. And in many respects, that's how God's kingdom movement looks now. Jesus did not look outwardly that impressive. He didn't wear royal clothes like King Solomon did or other ancient and famous kings. He did not look outwardly impressive. And God's people, uh, the people that followed Jesus initially, uh, they're not necessarily the most impressive group either. They're in some ways you know, the peasants and the, and the, and the rabble. Uh, In Corinthians, Paul says, you know, not many of you are wise, not many of you are of noble birth, not many were wealthy by the standards of the age. They're not a particularly impressive group, the church. And I'm making my contribution to being one of the impressive members of it. Even following Jesus doesn't look all that impressive. A life of putting to death sin, uh, making it our ambition to live a quiet life and to grow in godliness. It's not spectacular. Holding on to a gospel that is, although it's the smell of life to those who are being saved, it's the stench of death to those who are perishing. And like the little mustard seed does not overwhelm us, likewise the beginnings of God's kingdom movement don't look all that impressive now. There is an analogy that I'll bring to your attention. It's possibly a little bit like when you um, buy a seed and you try to put the little bit of wire fencing around it so that when a kid gets one of those cheap soccer balls from the, the, uh, the service stations, you know those old cheap soccer balls where you kick them and it, it's got a little weight in it and so it bends one way and back the other way? Those ones, they could actually knock over that little plant, that little 
hopeless ball from the service station could, could crash that little plant when it starts out. But if you leave that plant long enough, it could grow big and strong and stop a semi-trailer. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus is saying. It's, it starts out ready to be knocked over by one of those little balls, but in the end, it, it looks pathetic to begin with, but in the end it could stop a truck. And that's what the kingdom of God's like. It begins very unimpressive in one level, but it's very impressive at the end. This is what Jesus says in Mark 8. That one day he will come in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And it, it is, it's a difficult thing to imagine what that will be like, but Jesus promises it's going to be impressive. And it's also going to be a blessing for God's people. Well, the next section uh, is a conclusion on these parables. Jesus helps the, the insiders to grow in their faith in verses 33 and 34, if you're reading with me. We're at point four in the outline. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. People could have benefited if they moved from becoming an outsider to becoming an insider. And as they did, they would have understood more and had a stronger faith in Christ. And we're people who can also benefit as well. Uh, the remarkable thing about the stage of life that we live in is that we stand on the shoulders of the apostles who witnessed these things and have written down them. We have the, the completed record that they, they were learning on the run, but we actually get to see uh, the message of Jesus and the whole counsel of God in a complete package. And so the challenge for us is not to become complacent with that, it's easier for us to, uh, during holiday time especially, to enjoy reading airport novels and things that are entertaining. Uh, but we've also got to be people who don't take for granted God's word. We've been given much uh, and we can benefit from it if we continue to read it and think about it and let it grip our hearts. So let us be people who are those who've been given much and also receive more. Well, this part of the Bible continues with a, a challenge about who these insiders are really following. Do they really know who they are coming to terms with in the ministry of Jesus? And Mark moves to a story to show us that the disciples were coming to grips with who they're following. They're in a very desperate situation. A furious squall comes up, verse 37, the waves broke over the boat so that it was almost swamped. Jesus was in the stern, which is the back of the boat, and he's asleep on a cushion. But even though the disciples seem to be probably tough rural guys, they can't handle it anymore. And so in their desperation, and they must have been desperate, they go and wake Jesus up. Teacher, don't you care if we drown, they say to Jesus. But for Jesus, he's not rattled at all. It's a piece of cake for him. And he uses this as an opportunity to demonstrate who he is. As we know, he says to the winds and the waves, quiet, be still, and then the wind dies down completely and things are calm. And then he challenges the disciples about their trust in him. Do they really know who they're trusting? And he asks them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They should have realised that... Uh, 
if they're going to be safe anywhere in life, it was with Jesus. God's plans aren't about to fall apart uh, with Jesus going down in a boat with the disciples. They should have known that everything's okay if they were with Jesus. But at this point, their fear changes no longer from being frightened of the winds and the waves and the, the boat about to be swamped. They're terrified, it seems, because of what Jesus has done. They're frightened of who, they've, who they're dealing with. In verse 41, we're told they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And it's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question as they are confronting who Jesus really is at this point in time. This amazing act of his authority over nature shows that he has the authority of God. That he's not only the son of God who comes into the world, he's not an ordinary man, he's indeed God the son who's come into the world. As the disciples are confronted with this kind of scenario, their faith is challenged. They're challenged to actually grow stronger in their trust in the Jesus who's there, the Jesus of history. And again, as we read about Jesus' parables, about the kingdom that he's bringing in and who he is in these, in these moments where he has this authority over nature, our faith is also strengthened, isn't it? Because we can see who our faith is founded on. Well, the parables may have been divisive. They might have divided people into those who uh, could see there was something in it and wanted more, or those who thought they were a nonsense and who lost even what they knew of the parables. But may we be people who continue to benefit as we keep on reading about what Jesus teaches, as we continue to be confronted with the impressive figure that Jesus was as we read the word of God. May we be people who have a solid faith in Jesus as the one who came into the world. He willingly laid down his life for our sin to bring us into God's kingdom at the end of the ages. That great harvest where we'll enjoy fellowship with God and with one another forever. May God help us to be part of that inner group as long as we live. Let us pray. Lord God, we do give you thanks that the um, ministry of Jesus, which began with some secrecy, uh, began to come to light for many people. We thank you that uh, he is revealed as the Son of God, the one who comes as the ransom for many to bring us into your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that we would be people who value what Jesus has to say and to grow in our faith in him. Lord, we thank you that as we read about the one who calmed, calmed the winds and the wave, we can see who it is that we do have our faith in and that we can trust him to come again and take us to be with you. Lord, we thank you for this impressive story about Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And we thank you that we've been strengthened again today by reading it. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.